commuter Buddhist. I'm learning to be a Buddhist in my car, listening to a book on tape. One problem is that before I've gotten very far, my mind gradually becomes aware that it has stopped listening, straying from the task of becoming a Buddhist in my car. I'm also worried that listening will impair my driving as the package label cautions, but I haven't noticed that, at least so far. In fact, I may be driving with more care. There's a sensation of attentive calm that's part of becoming a Buddhist in your car. A soothing voice drones on until the car is transformed into a capsule of wisdom traveling at high speed and you feel far from anywhere but where you really are, which is nowhere, really. The biggest problem is getting the Buddhism out of your car and into your life. I've failed at that so far. Somebody commented yesterday, Rachel is tall and she is short. Well, welcome. (laughs) This is a reading, Mindful, by Mary Oliver. Every day I see or hear something that more or less kills me with delight, that leaves me like a needle in the haystack of life. It was what I was born for, to look, to listen, to lose myself inside this soft world, to instruct myself over and over in joy, in acclamation. Nor am I talking about the exceptional, the fearful, the dreadful, the very extravagant, but of the ordinary, the common, the very drab. The daily presentations. Oh, good scholar, I say to myself, how can you help but grow wise with such teachings as these? The untrimmable light of the world, the oceans shine, the prayers that are made out of grass. The second reading is by Stephen Levine. If prayer would do it. If prayer would do it, I'd pray. If reading esteemed thinkers would do it, I'd be halfway through the the patriarchs. If discourse would do it, I'd be sitting with his holiness every moment he was free. If contemplation would do it, I'd have translated the periodic table to hermit poems, converting matter to spirit. If even fighting would do it, I'd already be a black belt. If anything other than love could do it, I'd have done it already and left the hardest for last. Some of us set aside an hour for meditation every morning. Some of us practice yoga every day. Some of us take regular, long, contemplative walks where we reflect on our life, remember our values, and set our intentions going forward. And perhaps you are one of those people, or have another spiritual practice that grounds you fosters spiritual growth, and helps you face each day with integrity. I'm really glad you're able to do that. It's a wonderful practice. 
And my sermon today is for the rest of us. <laughs> Those of us who might have ambitious goals about spiritual practice, but fall short, choose to sleep in instead of meditate. Those of us who are struggling to get the Buddhism out of our car and into our life. Those of us who have decided that because of the circumstances of our lives right now, spiritual practice is not a priority. Maybe those of us who heard Rob yesterday at the installation charge this congregation to develop regular devotional practice in addition to worship attendance and you don't know where to start. Or perhaps the sermon is for those of us who are hearing about spiritual practice for the first time today. So what is it? Spiritual practice is the things we do that help us grow spiritually. It is the things we do to regenerate ourselves and our souls. Often we think of contemplative spiritual practices, meditation, yoga, journaling, prayer. There are other spiritual practices like the creation of music or dancing or as Catherine highlighted, gardening and weeding that others find meaningful. Spiritual practices are the things we do that help us discover and live out our deeply held values. Spiritual practices help us live better lives. They better equip us to to make the most loving choice, to act with integrity over and over and over again. Spiritual practices help us remember that every moment is a precious gift that we, and that we are not the center of the universe. Now we as Unitarian Universalists don't agree on what is the center of the universe, be it chance and randomness, the interdependent web, some sort of higher power, but we know that it is not us. The secret about spiritual practices is that almost any action or inaction can be a spiritual practice. It's all about the approach. If it's done with attention, intention, and love. Wayne Mueller writes, Thich Han playfully notes that even doing the dishes can become a meditative practice. To my mind, the idea that doing dishes is unpleasant can occur only when you aren't doing them. Once you are standing in front of the sink with your sleeves rolled up and your hands in the warm water, it really is quite pleasant. He continues, I enjoy taking my time with each dish, being fully aware of the dish, the water, each movement of my hands. I know that if I hurry in order to eat dessert sooner, the time of washing dishes will be unpleasant and not worth living. That would be a pity for each minute, each second of life is a miracle. The dishes themselves and the fact that I am here washing them are miracles. So how might the drudgery of dishes be different if we experienced it as a chance for meditation? How might the drudgery of dishes be different if we stilled our minds and our hearts to do just that one thing? How might the drudgery of dishes be different if we let go of the thoughts running through our mind and noticed our hands in the warm water? Making doing the dishes a spiritual practice might be a chance for us to live the lives we want. Or maybe you really hate doing the dishes. <laughs> 
never fear. There are plenty of other things that can be approached as a spiritual practice. The church where I interned on my way into the ministry was Unity Church Unitarian in St. Paul, Minnesota. One of the co-ministers there, Rob, was the person who charged the congregation yesterday. It is a large church. It's over 800 adult members and over 400 kids in the religious education program. They have three services every Sunday. And worship looks different at a church that large. One of the main differences is is there's not the spoken joys and concerns. For one thing, that would take up most of the worship time. And it would always be incomplete because no one is going to go through all three services to get to share their important milestone and drop their pebble. Instead, that church does a shared meditation and the minister speaks aloud the names of those who've had important milestones in the week. And so all might know, all can celebrate, and all can hold them in their hearts. The meditation reads in part, Each time we gather for worship, we set aside a moment to expand the caring ministry of this congregation. Together we recognize the cycles of life and death, the circle of love, compassion, and witness that is at the center of this and every sacred community. Our hearts go out to those who live with grief, fear, or pain, with mental illness or addiction, with illnesses seen and unseen. We pray for our neighbors in prison, those who care for family members in ill health, those who are struggling to stay afloat in these challenging economic times. We stand at the side of those whose primary spiritual practice is caring for children. We are mindful of our many blessings, the sources of joy, beauty, and meaning in our lives. And our lives are blessed by those who knowingly and with curiosity and courage face their final days and by those who risk, who rise above heartbreak to carry on the work of ending oppression in all its forms. We pray for those in harm's way, for the wisdom and courage for the leaders of the world and for the leaders of our congregation. May we stand in compassionate solidarity with our neighbors all around the world who suffer in the midst of habitual violence. May they and may we be an instrument of a lasting peace. And that is a powerful meditation. Those words are said Sunday after Sunday and etched onto the tablets of the heart of many in that church. Many gathered every Sunday can find themselves somewhere in that meditation and their places shift week to week and year to year. As I spent time in that community, I noticed something powerful. People claimed caring for children as a spiritual practice with an enthusiasm I had never heard anywhere else. So the parents and primary caregivers, the nannies and child care workers, the teachers, the pediatricians, and others who care for children professionally, and many of the religious education volunteers claimed caring for children as their primary spiritual practice. And it was a claim made even more powerful by the church's promise to stand with them as they did that. And caring for children is a spiritual practice. It's not one we think about very much, but it is definitely a chance to grow spiritually, to test our limits, to clarify what matters most. 
caring for children can be a constant reminder that we are not the center of the universe, (laughs) that any plans we might make are not the way things are going to play out. Being in relationship with children presents us with so many moments of decision. How am I going to live my values now? And now, and now, and now. And we are given the chance to pass on what we value as best we can, which helps us clarify what matters most. Caring for children can be a chance to let go of our worries and to-do lists and be truly present for the moment. And of course, like with caring for children, just like any spiritual practice, people are constantly falling short of their high aspirations. They're constantly not the spiritual practicer, not the caregiver or the teacher they wish they could be. And part of this, and many other spiritual practices, is to offer oneself forgiveness and begin again in love. And yes, it is hard to remember that dishes and caring for children and so many other things that make up our lives can be a spiritual practice when three days' worth of dishes are sitting in the sink and a child is screaming for no discernible reason. And those are the moments when we might need this the most. This might be the moment to ask, what is the most loving choice I can make right now? And then to do that and ask it again and do something else. None of this is a new idea. Every major wisdom tradition has contemplative spiritual practices and encouragement to infuse the everyday with attention, intention, and love. The Apostle Paul advised the earliest Jesus followers in Galatia to keep alert, stand firm in your faith, Be courageous, be strong, and let all you do be done in love. It is a simple instruction and simply impossible to live. Keep alert, stand firm in your faith, be courageous, be strong, let all that you do be done in love. It's something we can aspire to and fall short of again and again, and perhaps that's why these are called practices. We're all just trying to get it right. I chose to preach on this topic today because it's a new member Sunday at the end of a program year, and this church has been full this weekend with the installation yesterday, the All Our Whole Lives Middle School class had a sleepover last night, there was a drum circle here last night, there's religious education happening at this very moment, and all sorts of meetings after the service. It's amazing what happens here. Thank you all for being this church to the longer-term members and friends of this community. Thank you for giving of yourself in so many ways to create the community that has welcomed 12 new members and their children today. And to the new members, thank you for casting your lot with us. We are excited to grow and learn and practice with you. And everyone else, we are glad you are here with us, whether this is your first time, or your first time in a long time, whether you are visiting from across the street or across the country. Thank you. And one of the reasons that this church has endured for 161 years 
is that people have found what ways to engage in spiritual practice here. Every Tuesday, if it's warm enough, you will find Catherine tending and weeding in the church gardens. Members of our choir and other musicians find joy and meaning in music and offer it to us. We have quite a few members engaging in the spiritual practice of caring for children at this very moment. And it sounds like we have a few people washing some dishes right now, too, or getting our coffee service ready. People do volunteer tasks here. 561 volunteer tasks here. Chris, our church administrator, counted. It's amazing. We have about, now we have, what is it, 250, 62 members as of today, something like that. So that is amazing. And, we, and you all do these tasks with love and for love, with attention and intention. And almost every meeting I attend here, and I attend a lot of meetings, I take a moment to remind myself that I am nearly always the only person drawing a paycheck to be there. And that is powerful and humbling. Everyone else is doing the work of the church out of the goodness of their heart, because they are learning and growing, because it gives them joy, because they are grateful for what the church has given them and they want to give back. It's really inspiring to witness. Thank you all. And this next part is probably the riskiest thing I've ever said in this pulpit. And I had to ask Diane's permission before I could say it. Diane is the director of religious education, for those of you who don't know. So if you have a volunteer role that isn't serving you, if it isn't helping you grow spiritually, if you aren't learning and challenged and excited about that, if that particular service to this community isn't fun or meaningful, if it doesn't feel like you're making a significant contribution, if you're not feeling gratitude, perhaps it's time to step back. Your time is precious and your time is valuable. The time you spend serving the church should help you grow, learn, contribute, find meaning and joy. And if that isn't the case, let's make a change. Please talk to me or other relevant leaders and please start daydreaming about what would be meaningful. I know that sometimes we get stuck in roles because we've always done them or because we fear that if we stop, it just won't happen. And that is a recipe for burnout and resentment. Burnout is not just being tired or overwhelmed. Quaker educator Parker Palmer argues that it's violating one's nature as a person. He writes, one sign I am violating my own nature is a condition called burnout. Though usually regarded as the result of trying to give too much, burnout in my experience results from trying to give what I do not possess, the ultimate giving too little. Burnout is a state of emptiness to be sure, but it does not result from giving all I have. It merely reveals the nothingness from which I was trying to give in the first place. Sometimes we, we give what we do not possess because we worry no one else will do it if we don't. And sometimes that's true. But if that's the story you're telling yourself, I encourage you to have more faith in this community. Often there is someone who would be willing to step into the role if the person who's in it steps back. 
Perhaps this other person would find joy and meaning in that role. And sometimes there isn't that new person. No one would be spiritually fulfilled by that role. And it might be time for that to stop, that whole thing. Every program at this church has a life cycle. There's nothing that has been the same for the 161 years the People's Church and its predecessors have been gathering. And the end of one program might make room for something new to grow. So I invite you to step into roles here that feed you, that help you grow, that allow you to learn interesting things, and that are really fun, that help you show gratitude to the church. And because we are so diverse, spiritual growth can take so many forms. We need people here whose spiritual practices include tending the garden and visiting the sick, managing the library and balancing the books, teaching within these walls and tutoring beyond it, and of course, washing the dishes. So may all we do here in all parts of our, and in all parts of our lives be done with love, be done with intention and attention. And may it be so. May we make it so. And amen.